Okay, praise the Lord. We want to welcome you tonight as we are continuing in our Bible study, Reasons to Believe, and we're looking now at part five, and we're titling this, The Claims of Christ, and I've kind of hinted that this section was coming, but uh, this has been really exciting for me to work on, and it's really done something to my whole understanding of of who Jesus is and the things that he spoke when he was here on earth. And we're going to take our time uh, working through this. This is probably going to take a couple of sessions, and I'm not really in a hurry here because this is very powerful and it's very important. And let me just introduce this by saying, during his earthly ministry, about three and a half years, Jesus made numerous claims about himself, who he was, what he was going to do, things that had already been previously written and predicted about him, and even a quick look at some of the claims Jesus made about himself. No other human being has ever dared make such claims. These are wild, extravagant claims that Jesus made. And I've heard many people say, and you've probably heard the same thing, many people will say, well, you know, I can accept that Jesus was a great moral teacher. He was a good man, but I cannot accept his claim to be Messiah and God. He was a great teacher, and some may even concede that he laid down his life for a great cause. He was a martyr. He gave up his life for a, a good purpose. There's a real problem with that, however. This line of reasoning is absolutely absurd. I want you to hear me very clearly here tonight. To say that Jesus was a great moral teacher, but not Messiah, and not God, and not Savior, that, that argument, that line of reasoning is completely absurd. He cannot be a great teacher if all that he taught and claimed is not true. And I think you're going to see very early on tonight that he made wildly extravagant claims. And if they're not all true, then he's not a good teacher. He's to be dismissed. We cannot accept him as a moral teacher and, and yet say, well, he can't be God, he can't be Savior, he can't be Messiah, but I'll read some of his teachings and maybe learn some good lessons from him. As we've noted in previous studies, one of three things has to be true about Jesus Christ in light of all of the claims that we're going to be studying in this Bible study. He was either an insane, deluded lunatic completely out of his mind, 
completely out of touch with reality, or he was a false Christ, a false prophet, and a liar deliberately deceiving the people, or the third choice is he was everything that he claimed to be. 100% of his claims must be true. If even one claim that he made can be proven false, then none of his claims can be true, and we must write him off as either a lunatic or a liar. And in Josh McDowell's uh, famous series, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, he says Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. I like that. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or a Lord. But you, he can't be both, or all three. And so this is the problem with this uh, line of reasoning that Jesus was a good moral teacher or a good moral man, but he wasn't God. He wasn't Messiah. He repeatedly made these claims, and again, if they're not all true, we should just forget about him altogether and look for another Messiah, look for another Savior, or hope that somebody else comes along because he can't possibly be a good teacher and yet half of his teachings are untrue, unfounded, and they never came to pass. So we're going to examine rather carefully a number of the claims that Christ made concerning himself. And I think you're going to see very quickly, we don't go around making these kind of claims. Only a madman would say these kinds of things about himself. Because somebody in their right mind knows they can't possibly live up to these claims. And we're going to go right through the four Gospels, uh, actually, we're going to skip Mark because we can find most of the things we need in either Matthew or Luke or John. But we're going to start in Matthew's Gospel and look at a number of these claims that Jesus makes about himself. And we begin in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2. Matthew 11 verse 2. And this was a question that was brought back to Jesus from John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been arrested, and he's now in prison, and he sends word through his disciples to Jesus with this question. Matthew 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? That's a very clear question. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Anyone living at that time would have understood what John's question was about. Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised anointed one? Or should we be waiting for someone else? 
So Jesus could have easily dismissed that question the way John dismissed a similar question when they had come to him earlier and asked him, are you the Christ? And he said, no, no way. I am not the one. So Jesus could have easily responded to this question, are you the one with, no, I'm not. But here's his answer. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now let's pause there. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Anyone who knew the Old Testament scriptures and the various promises and prophecies concerning the promised one, the Messiah, would have clearly understood each one of these items that Jesus mentions, their messianic signs. The blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, and good news being proclaimed to the poor, those were all direct fulfillments of Old Testament messianic prophecies. And so in verse 6, he says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And in so many words, Jesus' answer to John's question, are you the one, is a resounding yes, I am the one. And then he continues, Jesus does, in verse 10, talking about John the Baptist to the audience there. And this is interesting. And this is what he says about John. This is the one about whom it is written, and then he quotes from Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Notice what's happening here. Not only is Jesus confirming John the Baptist is the promised messenger of Isaiah chapter 40, but the messenger was coming to announce the Messiah. And so, really in one statement, he's affirming John the Baptist is indeed the precursor to the Messiah, and I am the Messiah. Bottom line, Jesus' answer to the question is, I am Messiah. Bold claim. Bold claim. The second example in Matthew is in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain 
and eat them. It's amazing how the Pharisees always were around. <laughs> they were always watching. Verse 2, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? And follow very carefully the next couple of verses. Verse 6. I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> now you and I may not be able to understand the power of those words. Trust me, the Pharisees did. They understood this whole discourse that Jesus gives them. Number one, he's putting himself on par with King David. He's saying, David ate consecrated bread. He broke your law. And you're accusing me of breaking the law on the Sabbath. But I declare to you, I'm greater than the temple. One greater than the temple is standing right here. And just to cap the whole thing off, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You're accusing me of breaking the Sabbath? I'm the Lord of the law. It was a huge claim that Jesus was making before these Pharisees. A, he claims that he's greater than the whole temple, which they so revered. And he's claiming to be greater and more powerful than the law that they thought was so precious. He has power over the very law because he made the law. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And another example, while we're here in Matthew 12, if you continue down a little further to Matthew 12, verse 39, Jesus is speaking. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's interesting, just before we came on tonight, I was looking at a little video that was in the news today uh, that was shot in South Africa of a diver who was in the water filming uh, what's called a sardine run. These little fish, the sardine, thousands and thousands of them uh, 
school there at certain times of the year, and and he was filming all the sharks that were gathering around uh, to feed on these little sardines, and suddenly this huge whale starts surfacing with his mouth wide open, just gulping down thousands of these little sardines and almost gulped down the diver. And the newscaster for the Weather Channel, when he introduces the video, he makes mention of, we almost had another Jonah here. (laughs) So they all know about these things, but they don't really believe in them. But uh, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah. Well, they all knew who Jonah was. This was a a great prophet in their estimation. And in a, in a sense, he died for three days and was in the belly of this fish, and then he came back to life. And Jesus is putting himself not only on that same level, but way above it and saying, I'm going to die and spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, and I'm going to rise again. And by the way, one greater than Jonah is here. And he goes on. The queen of the south, queen of Sheba, of course, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. So, We've barely gotten into the the claims that Jesus makes, and already we can see he claims he's greater than the temple, he's greater than the law, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's greater than the prophet Jonah, and he's greater than the wisest man of the whole Old Testament. He's greater than Solomon. These are wild claims that ordinary people don't go around making. And, of course, as I mentioned, in his reference to Jonah spending three days and three nights in the whale, it's one of many other uh, instances where we're going to see very clearly he claims, I'm going to die, and after three days, I'm coming back to life. The next one is one of the best known of Jesus' claims, and it's found in Matthew chapter 16, from verse 13 onwards. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. And here he tells his disciples plainly that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. From verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's one question. Who do the people say I am? They replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now he asks a separate question. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Anointed One, literally, the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He could have very easily stopped them there and said, Peter, you're out of your mind. Don't say that. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the son of the living God. Where are you getting these crazy ideas? Instead, he replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't make this up in your head. My Father in heaven told you this. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. A lot of people missed that last part there. That's important. First of all, Jesus tells Peter that he's blessed for knowing what he knows. What does he know? He knows who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus claimed that God the Father had revealed this to Peter. He goes on to claim that he actually has keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't hear too many people walking around on the street claiming, A, that they're God, the Son of God, B, they have keys to get into the kingdom of heaven, and this closing comment in verse 20 is very important. He warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. He doesn't say, now let me, let me straighten this out guys, I am not the Christ. Let, let me be clear here, I'm not claiming to be the Messiah. That's not what it says. He told them, don't tell anyone who I am. In other words, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, don't tell anyone that yet. So, th these are extravagant, wild claims, and we haven't even begun to get in to all the things Jesus said about himself. But coming back to my opening point, Jesus cannot possibly be a good moral teacher a nice guy, a great prophet, and not be Messiah and God. You can't have a little bit of it be true, but some of it is false. It's either all true or it's all false. And when you, when you add up all of these claims, 
100% of them have to be true, or we have to dismiss him as a false prophet, a false Christ, a liar, or some kind of a madman. Let's move on. Still in Matthew. Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19. Here is one of many cases where he clearly predicts his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, his triumph over death. Matthew 20, verse 17 to 19. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And in Matthew 26, from verse 63 to 65, this is what he tells the high priest. He boldly stands before the high priest and says, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. From verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. What's verse 64 say? Yes. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. We do not need any more. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. The high priest understood very clearly what Jesus was saying. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And last reference in Matthew, everybody knows this one, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. After Jesus was risen from the dead, he's about to ascend back up into heaven. This is what he says to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are amazing claims. He's claiming to be omnipotent and omnipresent. Those are big words. 
uh, for saying, all-powerful and in every place at the same time. Those are divine qualities that anyone hearing this immediately understood. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, he was standing on earth. And he's already claiming he has all authority in heaven, too. And he's commissioning them, of course, now to go into all the world and make disciples. And by the way, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. He didn't say, teach your disciples to obey everything God has commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You start adding up these claims, and I think you start to see why I said it's absurd to think Jesus was just a great prophet or a good teacher. You have to examine what he taught and what he said. And these were not isolated, off-the-cuff uh, slips of the tongue. He was deliberately, time and time again, making these kinds of claims. And let's see if we have time tonight. Uh, let's look at a couple in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, this first one is one of my favorite uh, all-time passages, Luke chapter 4. And it begins in verse 16. This is after Jesus has finished his 40 days of fasting and prayer in the wilderness. He comes back from that time of fasting and battling with the devil in the desert. He comes back to Jerusalem, filled with the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, and he goes to the synagogue. And verse 16, it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. I love this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Just coincidence, right? Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and he's quoting actually from Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. End of quote. He's finished reading. Verse 20 tells us, He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Everyone in that synagogue knew what he just read was a clear prophecy 
about the coming Messiah. Everyone knew that. The Anointed One. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Man, if that isn't powerful, I don't know what. I've been reading this for 40 years and I got goosebumps right now. This scripture is being fulfilled right here today before your eyes. The anointed one is standing in your midst and he just read to you the prophecy given 800 years before about himself. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we're going to do another whole section in this Bible study later on, probably after we complete this one, on fulfilled prophecy. If there's any doubt left in your mind by the time we get to that point, we're going to go through hundreds of prophecies made in the Old Testament that were fulfilled to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. This is just one example. While we're in Luke, let's move on to chapter 5. This is a bold claim that everyone in the audience understood what Jesus was saying. I am God. Luke chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, a couple of problems here. They didn't bring him all the way to this meeting to get his sins forgiven. They brought him to get him healed. He's paralyzed. He wants to walk. He's heard that Jesus can heal the sick, that many cripples and paralytics are walking when Jesus touches them. So he came to be healed. But very deliberately in front of everyone, and we'll see the Pharisees and the critics are always there, he deliberately makes this claim. Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, not only did they hear it, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Remember, that's the same charge the high priest gave. And blasphemy very simply was a human claiming 
to have divine powers, a human claiming to be God. So they understood clearly what Jesus was claiming. He's claiming to be God. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And pausing for a minute, they had that part right. They were absolutely right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. That's absolutely true. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. I mean, just a side note, he can read minds. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in in your hearts? That must have bothered them a bit that he was reading their minds. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Go back to verse 24 for a minute. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Well, who has the authority to forgive sins? Only one. Only one has that authority. That's God. They got that part right in verse 21. But he's saying, I want you to know that I'm God. That's really what he's saying in verse 24. You're going to know now that I am God and that the Son of Man has divine authority on earth to forgive sins. And you're going to know because, number one, I'm going to heal the man. And once he's healed, you're going to know also that I have the power to forgive his, sin, to forgive his sins. And of course... He was healed and forgiven and went home praising God. A couple more in Luke, and we're going to close there for tonight because we got a, a lot to look at next week in the Gospel of John. But this next one is also a very powerful claim. In Luke chapter 22 starting with verse 15. The Jews knew that in the Old Testament scriptures, particularly in the prophet Jeremiah, there was a promise of a new covenant coming. They knew about that. Prophesied in Jeremiah 31.31, that God would one day make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Well, here in Luke 22, Jesus claims to be the one who's going to initiate that new covenant. It's a powerful claim. Luke 22, 
starting at verse 15. Of course, this is in his last supper with the disciples. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But the most amazing statement is in the next verse, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. They all knew what those words, new covenant, meant. This was a wild claim Jesus was making. I'm the messenger. I'm the one who's initiating the new covenant prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. This cup represents my blood, which is about to be shed on the cross, which is going to usher in a new covenant. And finally, on the cross, Luke chapter 23, we all know the story of the thief on the cross next to him, and how he assured the thief that today you'll be with me, where? In paradise. Luke 23, from verse 32, and we'll skip over some of these verses. Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then drop down to verse 42. Then he, the criminal, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, either these are the words of some deluded madman, delirious, some crazed liar, false prophet, somebody out of their mind, claiming as he's dying on the cross, supposedly under the curse of God, oh, today, not only are you going to be forgiven, you'll be with me in paradise. And in Luke 24, and this will be the last place in Luke that we're looking, Luke chapter 24 
We've talked about this in previous studies because it's such a powerful exchange. Jesus, of course, is now risen from the dead. The cross is behind him. He's risen from the dead. And he joins these two disciples who are walking along. They're all discouraged and dejected. And he joins them. And in verse 25, Jesus says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And in the context, they're dejected and downhearted because they were followers of Jesus, and they thought that he was the Messiah. They thought, as he had often predicted, that after his death, he was going to rise from the dead. But they were basically saying, eh, three days have now come and gone. I guess he wasn't who he claimed to be. So he rebukes them in verse 25. How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Did he not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now you got to stop here for a second. What's Jesus really saying? All that Moses wrote, all that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel, all that the prophets wrote, they were all talking about the Messiah. By the way, they were all talking about me, because I am the Christ. I am the Anointed One. I am the Messiah. And that's one Bible study I wish I could have sat in on. Because he took them through Moses, through the prophets, and showed them in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, passage after passage that spoke about him. And after that, he says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Now there's no more room for doubt. He's very clear. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ the Messiah, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power 
from on high. Simply stated, Jesus said, I am the one. I am Messiah. I told you this was going to happen. I suffered. I died. I rose from the dead. I'm about to ascend back to my Father. And you are now witnesses of the fact that I am who I claimed to be. I am the Son of the living God. I am the Christ, the Messiah. I am the Anointed One. And next time, uh, we're going to go through the Gospel of John and just claim after claim after claim Jesus makes about what he would do and about who he is. And I close this again by repeating. Either all of these claims are true, or it is absurd for someone to say, well, I respect Jesus. He was a good teacher and a good man. If your friends say that in the future, I want you to be bold in your response to them. Say, no, no, that can't possibly be. He can't be just a good moral teacher or even a great prophet because you have to look at the things he said and taught. Either they're all true or you cannot possibly even believe he was a good moral man or a great teacher or a prophet. And of course, we're going to see Every single one of these claims Jesus fulfilled because he is the great I am. He is who he claimed to be, and he did everything he claimed he was going to do. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, the name at which every knee bow, every tongue in heaven, on earth, underneath the earth, every tongue will one day confess and declare that Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge tonight you are the great I am. You are the son of the living God. You have all authority in heaven and on earth to forgive sins, to save souls, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to transform people's lives. You are the Messiah, the one who could walk on water, the one who could heal the lame, open the blind eyes, bring hope to the hopeless, and God proclaim good news to the poor. We praise you, we worship you, we honor, exalt you, and glorify you tonight for who you are. You are the mighty God, the Savior. We worship you and we praise you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.